Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel, we have Subrat Mishra. Hello, hello. We also have Armin Vardanyan. Hi, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And this week, we have a special guest, and that's Tomas. Is it Trajan? I usually go like Tomas Trajan. So, yeah. Trajan, that's right. Yeah. I couldn't remember. We've had you on before, but do you want to remind people who you are and why you're awesome? Sure. So thank you very much for having me. My name is Tomas. Uh, online, you can find me under Tomas Trajan. I am a Google developer expert for Angular and web technologies. Uh, people mm-hmm. in the community mostly know me by my like articles. So I've been writing articles now for more than seven years, of course, with focus on Angular and related technologies like RxJS, NGRx, but even like a broader front-end stuff. Besides that, like open source, for example, Angular NGRX Material Starter, which can get you started, right? So how to use material components, how to do custom teams, how to get started with NGRX. Then some stuff called like Angular Extension slash Elements, which is a library which allows you to lazy load Angular Elements and any other web components in your Angular applications. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are gonna help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you wanna be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I I wanna give you the resources that are gonna help you do that. We're gonna have career and leadership resources in there, and we're gonna be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Besides that, like more local stuff, like I'm a co-organizer of Angular Meetup in Zurich, Switzerland. Currently, we were like on hold with uh, in-person events because of the COVID, but hopefully we can restart this fall. So I'm looking forward. So if you are like somewhere from the region, then feel free to come and hang out. Like we discuss cool new Angular stuff. There was a lot of new stuff happening recently, right? So there is a lot to discuss and explore together. Yeah, and then professionally, I am currently working as a contractor slash consultant with Swiss enterprise organization. So I try to do my best to help them being successful with Angular in their projects. So basically this, besides that, also like providing workshops about these topics. So Angular, NGRX, and the newest one upcoming for the RxJS. And last but not least, if... uh, you are basically working in a large enterprise organization, which is like a polyrepo environment, which most of them are. You have like hundreds of projects, tens of teams and developers. I have created a tool called Omniboard, which can help you make sense of that environment by like creating other checks and like running analyze and stuff like that. So feel free to check it out. So I think that kind of sums it up. Very cool. Sounds like you've got a lot going on. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking when you are sleeping. It's yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, 
Never. <laughs> it, it can get intense, I have to say. And especially now, like in summer, like there is like this other competing interests, right? So, but yeah, winter is more active time. But yeah, it's a lot. Maybe, maybe like work-life balance will have to hit me sooner or later. We will see how it, how it develops. Yeah, work-life balance in my in my experience usually boils down to oh now i'm just going to tip the scale the other way <laughs> <laughs> well if you say that like it's also true that like 3 years ago i went like for a year break when i was just traveling like around southeast asia so yeah. maybe like i pre-balanced it and now i am like spending that and then maybe i have to balance it after let's see Awesome. Well, we have you on today to talk about NGRX. Do you want to just give us kind of a high-level overview of what NGRX is and what it does and how Angular uses it? And then we can dive into, oh, hey, when you're using it, here are some things you might want to think about. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So maybe like a little background story for that. So like the main topic for today will be like the real-world proven NGRX best practices. So and mm-hmm. uh, like, why can I have such a like a broad and strong statement is that like this this product which I mentioned is Omnibor was basically developed with like this my preferred stack of choice which is the Angular and NGRX even like as a single developer with that focus on like being productive so not just like playing with some small demos but like with the real life product which has then like mm-hmm. users so then you will see very quickly if these things which you think are good idea are actually a good idea or it's just like on the paper or how it turns out like that in the production in real life. So yeah. But yeah, the NGRX itself is basically a state management library for Angular. So whenever I talk about it, I really like this metaphor where you say like, why do we use Angular in the first place, right? Because we had JavaScript, we had HTML, CSS. So basically before we had this kind of frameworks, you could just like fetch the data and then render some dynamic content by setting inner HTML and stuff like that, right? But it was always done a little bit differently. Like it was every feature could have been done differently. Every developer would have a slightly different approach. And this is like one of the main benefits of using something like Angular, which uh, standardize this kind of template manipulation, right? We get the concept of the component. We have the concept of the template binding. We get the concept of like the event handlers and stuff like that. So all the UIs which we write are more or less working the same, right? Now, if you take like one step back, so we solve like the templating uh, and some other stuff like dependency injection, okay. But then we still have to manage state in our applications, right? And there, for example, Angular doesn't really give us any kind of strict uh, recommendations how to do it. There is no like standardized way how to manage state in Angular. So it can be like a state in a component. Maybe you extract it into like Angular services. Maybe you extract it to like some totally different concept, just like some functions with the closures. Like you could do that, right? So it's not really so well-defined how to do it. And this is exactly where the state management library, like for example, NGRX comes into play, which is kind of like, a, if you think about it, it's kind of like a Angular, but for the state management. So it allows us to manage state in a repeated predictable patterns. So it, it's very opinionated and it allows us to do it like in standardized ways. So I think that's like the best primer for it. So you would use it exactly for the same reasons why you use Angular, right? I hope that makes sense, mm-hmm. right? And once we establish this, then uh, maybe like a very quick high-level recap of what is going on in NGRX. So basically, we have the centralized store, 
which is a single source of truth for all of our state in our application, which mm-hmm. is uh, very good because whenever you have like multiple places where you store your state, what tends to happen is that you will have some kind of the application so that it will not be sp- perfectly split into these multiple places, but one service will have a couple of properties which also the other service is managing. And what happens in those cases is that you need to write some kind of synchronizing logic to make sure that whenever a user does some interaction that the state will end up consistent in all those places. And of course, this is very very error-prone and it's like a major source of bugs in applications which tend to approach it like this, which I anyway seen many times like when working with the at customers right so this is why we have this centralized store which is only one global store for the state for the whole application where we have all our states so this kind of solves that problem like from the get-go because we cannot really have like uh, copies of that state right so of course there are some things about it also like in depth that uh, you could in theory duplicate state inside of the store but then that's more like on the topic of the best practices so let's now continue with the Overview. So we have a store, all the state is in the store, and now we have basically two problems. Uh, one problem is given some state in our store, we have to render a UI which reflects that state perfectly. So basically, if we have some state, we have to show users some interface, some UI, and that UI has to reflect that state perfectly so we see it, right? Now, the second half of the problem is that once user sees that state, usually they are allowed to change it in some way. It can be something very simple mm-hmm. as just pushing a button or it's something much more complicated like a multi-step form wizard, whatever have you, right? But at the end of the right. day, what happens is that after user interaction, we need to reflect that interaction into that state in the store. And once we do that, we can then again show updated UI. So. This is kind of like this main promise and the benefit of using this kind of solution that you can split this major problem into two totally independent halves compared to when using something like uh, two-way data binding, which mixes and matches like these updates with the rendering and stuff like that. So this, so and how is this done? So we have a store, then we need to retrieve that state from the store to show it. And for that, we use something called selectors, which allows us to retrieve some substates from that store. Plus, what is very, very important is the selectors allow us to calculate derived state. And that goes very well with what we've seen in the beginning, that we do not want to duplicate state. So a very classical example of that is, let's say we have a list of orders and there is like some amount on that order. And we also want to show like the total order value when we add up the value of all the orders, right? Uh, so and the like wrong way of doing that would be to have this total order value in the store because it is kind of like a duplicate state because mm-hmm. we can derive the total from just adding up those orders, right? right. So that would also necessitate a synchronization logic, which we do not want. And this is exactly why we can use selector for that where we can calculate that derived derived state inside of the selector and then make it available for the UI to render. So, okay, we have a store, we have a selectors, and now we are rendering the state, including the derived data. And now we said like the second half of the problem is to let the user update it. Okay, user does some interaction, for example, adds a product into the basket or something like that, right? It clicks on add to basket. So... 
How can we express that with NGRX is with the concept of actions. So whenever something happens, which should change the state, we have to like emit or dispatch a new action. This action can be very simple. It's just like an event. So user clicked on add to, to basket. But of course, it can also have some payload because if we just say add to basket, we don't know what we should add to basket. So pro- mm-hmm. most likely we need some payload. And that payload in our example could be, for example, like item ID, right? So and once we dispatch this action, this action is then processed by the NGRX library and it comes into a reducer. And reducer is basically a, it's a plain, pure function at the end of the day, which gets that action and current state and updates that state based on what that action was. So in our example, when we want to add something into the basket, then most likely we have like some list of items which are in the basket and then or just maybe it's just the ID so that we don't have the duplicated state. And when we get this add to basket action in our reducer, then the reducer will take the action, will take the original state with the list of the items and will add that ID into that list. And that will be the updated state, which will then go again through the selector all the way to the UI. So we will see the updated basket in our UI. And then last but not least, we have a dedicated first-class concept of the side effects. So NGRX comes also with this thing called like effects, which allows us to implement side effects, which can be something like uh, backend requests or like reflecting state into URL or like some scrolling behaviors in that concept. So for example, given our original example, once we have this thing in a basket, maybe we want to not just have it for the current session, but we want to persist it in a backend so that when user comes back to application, they can continue where they left off. So most likely, besides updating the UI, we also want to update the state in a backend. So in that case, that action will also be processed not just by the reducer, but also by the corresponding effect where it can trigger the backend request, which will update that basket also in our backend. And I think mm-hmm. that kind of sums up like a very high-level overview crash course of like engineering what's going on. And then we can start talking about the best practices. But would you add something to that? Like, did I miss something obvious or like how can we make it even like more understandable for the for the people who are tuning in? One thing I I would like to add is uh, what I like most on NGRS is it segregate a lot, lot, lot of things. Like you told about side effect, we effects are used for API calls. So you need not need to worry about how to handle that in a component. You give that to the effects. If some error comes, you'll go directly. You know that it's here. I'll go and edit collector or reducer. So that's, uh, I, I think, while for a bigger application, while maintenance will be pretty, pretty good. Definitely. Yeah, it basically gives us structure, right? It's like one thing which we would started with. So whenever, as the thing grow, the structure becomes more and more valuable that things are like that in predictable way. So that's 100% correct and helpful. Yeah. All right. So then maybe in terms of like these best practices, real world proven best practices. So one thing which I never really seen like in online content, in blogs or videos, and I think it's like one of the biggest uh, genius of this NGRX library is something which I call like the NGRX uh, 80-20 rule. It's kind of like a clickbait name, but uh, I think it makes perfect sense. So let's explore that. So if you think about it, like it's like a pretty advanced thing, right? So it solves the whole state management and it's 
implemented like it's tailor made for Angular applications. And it's like tailor made for the RxJS streams, right? Because whenever you do something like with the backend request in Angular, then you get observable stream. Whenever you use something like a reactive form, it's observable stream, right? So even though it is really like fully tailor made and targeted for these two technologies, if you look at it and like think about it, you will realize that 80% of the code which you write, if you write your own in GRX logic, are just plain and mostly pure functions. So how cool is that? That I mean, like, because RxJS streams can be pretty challenging, even like after years, right? So there's like, just, it's like, it's very powerful, but it's, there are just like so many rough edges where if you don't have like a perfect understanding, it can come and bite you, right? So, and like, I find it really amazing that library, library API design uh, managed to make it such that I can really write most of my logic as the most simple concept there is in like programming, which is like a plain, pure function. And it abstracts away all the RHG streams, all the Angular stuff, all the dependency injection. And I end, I'm like left out with like the, the simplest code possible, which is easy to write. And especially, which is extremely easy to test. Because if you think about it, like on a philosophical level, like what's the difference between like a function sum A plus B and a reducer, right? So one is a bit longer and has a bit more lines and a bit more logic. But at the end of the day, like if you zoom out enough, they are exactly the same, right? They are like plain, pure functions. So I think this is like a really amazing thing, which is not really talked about enough because of course, like whenever we write uh, applications, like maybe sometimes it's cool to like feel like hackery or how to say like, oh, I figured out this crazy stream or something like that. Sure. That can be like a good feeling but if you want to be productive if you want to like build something large with like a team of people then the simplicity like the the simpler we can go the better right so that everybody can just orient themselves like from the first second when they open the new feature i think that's like extremely extremely valuable thing and that also includes like yourself right so if you work on something larger and then you come back like to that old feature which you finished like two months ago and now you have to like adjust it slightly. You are very happy to not find them like some web of uh, streams going left and right and front and back, right? So yeah, I, I believe like most of us like working on these kind of applications already had this kind of experience. So yeah, that's like for me like a very big thing. So then when we just be like more specific about it, so when we say 80%, what we mean is that uh, selectors, reducers, actions, and then in theory also store, which is basically just like a data structure, they are all done without any notion of the RxJS or the Angular itself, right? So you cannot even do dependency injection in them. And then the only place where you can actually do that is this 20%, which is effects. And the NGRX effects, they are the actual like Angular services. That means we can do a constructor injection and it's also the place which basically handles the RxJS streams where you have to directly handle RxJS streams. But it's still much better compared to just the standard approach without NGRX because those RxJS streams, when done with NGRX, are very like tame, I would say. So you do not have to manage, for example, subscription lifecycle. This is done for you by the library. Another cool thing is that the way the effects work, it is very common to 
split a very complex stream into multiple effects, which then just trigger each other with actions. So again, it gets much simpler because there is a predefined structure which uh, prods you or nudges you in the direction of doing the right thing of splitting into smaller, easier to understand parts, which are then also much easier to combine, for example, to express different kind of flows. So this, I think it's a, a very, very big deal and it has uh, very positive consequences on the overall project lifecycle and like success rate. And I was really surprised that I didn't see it like praised more like openly all over the, all over the place in articles and videos like. Uh, yes, I think I, if I remember, uh, in some of our, our project, we have used an NGRX, uh, but the main pain point is not starting with NGRX. We have a huge project. Now you want to change mm-hmm. uh, that to NGRX. So what will be the, your take on that? Like how, how approach, which approach would be good? Because you already developed something and now you're facing problem with, now you need to go back to a single source of data and use effect, selector, uh, reducer, and accent, so all things. So what should be the approach there? So this is like extremely dependent on how, in what shape is that, like that original application, mm-hmm. right? Because you can imagine something which, even though it didn't use the state management library, it was done like with a high discipline. So maybe the features are like very isolated, right? Or you can also imagine something which like import services all over the place and those streams are shared all over the place. And those will be like the two dramatically different cases, right? So if you have something where the, there was like a, let's say strict discipline in like preserving the isolation so that the, that the dependency graph is mostly clean, that it should be pretty straightforward, even though like time consuming thing to do, because uh, you can just pick one feature. So I mean, you provide the initial setup, you provide the root store and all this kind of stuff. And then you can basically convert feature by feature and maybe you still use like some stuff which is like global like some authentication and current user and something like this but you could in theory be able to like rewrite feature by feature but in case if the dependency graph is not so clean so you like import stuff all over the place and there are like then of course it this can be from hard to almost like impossible right so it depends as always (laughs) Right. So, but yeah, that's, that I would say like, like it relates to that. Yeah. So I'm here with JD from Raygun. JD, why did you start Raygun? You know, I, I started Raygun. It was actually our 11th product that we built. So, you know, if you're a fellow software engineer thinking you want to build something and build a business, this was the 11th try. Right. And we built it because way back when I was writing more code for customers, I used to instrument my code to send an email to myself when something went wrong. And it would let me kind of get in front of the issue before the customer complained. And so we built a a whole product called Raygun for crash reporting initially. Uh, It expanded out into other areas, but it was really just building a full solution to what I'd been doing years earlier to try and build better software. I love that. Just scratching your own itch. It makes a ton of sense. And, And I do that too with some of the stuff that I'm doing, either with podcasting or programming. Yeah, absolutely. The The most awkward thing was when we actually instrumented some of those prior 11 products. And that's when we realized that about 1% of users will ever actually report an issue. And you go, oh, we might have been a lot more successful earlier if we'd known that. <laughs> so that's kind of the whole value prop of Raygun. Yep, absolutely. And it, it makes sense just to put it in there. So folks, if you're looking to try something like this, that will tell you what your problems are, go check out raygun.com. 
and get a free trial. So in your article, you listed kind of a bunch of best practices, right? And did you talk through all of them? You've kind of alluded to some of them. Yeah, yeah. So so basically, we started like with this first one, which is more like just to like realize this 80-20, right? So that it's plain functions. And the best practice part of that is that like, you should like use it to the fullest, right? That means uh, you should put all of your logic into NGRX because NGRX logic is easiest to test, is fastest to test, right? There is no test bed or anything like that. And then there are like some other consequences to that. So what I've seen in practice, is, which is very common, is when you have a component in Angular, once you start using NGRX, this component implementation is very likely can become like almost, um, pardon, trivial. So basically, we'll just uh, have a selector to select the view for that component. Mm-hmm. And then you will have a couple of handlers based on like the events from the template, which will dispatch action. So you can say like, there is almost no need to test that component. So the only thing you could test is if uh, given some user interaction, if the correct action was dispatched. But you can even argue that that this this test is the, not really bringing too much value or how to say, right? So, so that's like... Uh, Let's like this downstream benefit of like moving most of your logic into NGRX. That NGRX is easy to test and the components are hardest to test. But if the components have no real logic, then why would you test them, right? Mm-hmm. Or like those tests can be much shorter. So I think that has like a big downstream positive effect, like on the overall testability and like the speed of at which these test suits can execute. And uh, this can bring us to another one. So what we've said is that these components are getting simpler. And then what I often seen is that people, uh, what they tend to do is that they import multiple selectors and then they combine them in the component. So maybe they have like store select this and store select that and that and that, just like assigning the properties and then they subscribe to it in the template in the four places. That's like one case. Another case, which is even slightly worse, is when they import multiple selectors and then they start writing a logic in the component instead of the selector where they will combine latest all this selector and then map and create derived state in a component. So we don't want to do that. Again, why? Because components are hardest and slowest to test. So in that case, it is much better to do that in a yet another selector which brings us to the best practice called like create perfect view selector or view model or however you like it for your container components, right? So, and this solves exactly these two cases which we mentioned where if you just inject five different or import five different selectors, then you maybe have five nested ng containers in your template to unwrap state from all of them with the async pipe or if you even start writing actual logic to create and like some derived state by combining those values which you get from the selector and component, you don't want to do none of that. What is much much better is to create a select user admin container view, whatever, selector, right? Which will import all the selectors which we need and create a perfect derived state which matches the template of that component. And again, it's very easy to test, plain function. For the component, yeah, they just import single selector, unwrap it in a single ng container, and then inside we can just access our state 
in the simplest way possible as if it was like a sync object, right? So this mm-hmm. is pretty amazing. And another great benefit of this approach is that, of course, as application is developed over time or like even like lives for years, there most likely are going to be some changes to the to the model, to the data structure, for example, in the backend, right? And if you have such a selector, then basically decoupled the template of that component from the shape of the state in the store, because that can change over time. So that way, uh, if um, if that if that shape of the state changes in the store, you can fix it in that selector, and your component implementation can stay exactly the same. And again, you don't want to touch components if you don't have to, because it's just the most annoying and riskiest part. And it's much easier to change like a plain functions. So that would be something. So only use component for HTML. Only use component for what, please? Uh, To render, uh, to render the HTML, yeah. Exactly. Give your component perfect state, render it, and then just dispatch actions based on the user interaction. That's all that you need. And yeah, if this is followed like uh, properly, then Basically, people have a much better time maintaining these kind of applications in practice. Mm-hmm. So, and this uh, can then, uh, or are there any questions to that, please? Mm-hmm. All right. So, this then can bring us to another point, which is because, uh, like embrace local selectors and actions specific to a given component or interceptor or feature or whatever have you. So, this is related to what we just said. So, we said like, it would be cool to have a dedicated uh, view selector for a given container component which delivers perfect state. Now, where we should implement such a selector? Should it be like as a part of some state slice? So like a state slice in NGRX is when you have like a group of uh, reducers, actions and selectors which manage some part of the state. But as we said, most likely component needs a state from multiple state slices. So this is why it imported multiple selectors in the first place. So where should we actually implement that perfect view selector? So as it turns out, it's totally fine if you have like a container component, for example, yeah, user admin container component.ts or something like that, to create a file next to it called yeah, user admin <laughs> container selector.ts or something like that just next to it and implement that selector there because um, it's where it's actually consumed, right? So it makes much more sense to put it locally to that component in that feature uh, compared to like hide it in one of those already pre-existing state slices, which are then like not providing all the data. So that's also something which people maybe like uh, feel initially like, should I really put it there? Like usually I just create like a whole state feature with the schematics, like this doesn't feel right. But as it turns out, it makes perfect sense because then also as your application evolves uh, and you need to move stuff around because you refactor things, you want to reuse stuff or whatever have you, then if you move this, it's all together, right? It's not like coming from multiple places. So that's like another uh, good benefit of having it all together locally, for example. Yeah. So this, then this brings us, like you mentioned, that maybe this can feel like all for people because they use schematics to generate the whole state feature. So let's speak a little bit, bit about that because I also found it like pretty surprising that uh, people often just copy stuff and then rename things. 
even though we have like uh, very cool schematics available. So that's uh, another one of those best practices, uh, which is to use the NGRX schematic. So most of us is, are probably aware that whenever we implement Angular applications, we have Angular schematics mm-hmm. inside of Angular CLI. So we can generate the components, pipes, services, modules, or even like a whole lazy features. But that it's, as it turns out, many third party libraries, one of them also NGRX, brings their own schematic collections, which can simplify the whole setup. So that was basically also one of the main points against NGRX that is a little bit verbose, right? So you have to create quite so many files and like all the test setups and all these kind of things. And it's true, right? Like it's really like per state feature, it's at least uh, eight files and then update maybe two other files with the imports and stuff like that. So it's actually true. It is pretty work and time consuming to set this up. But as it turns out, we get the NGRX schematics and they allow us to generate the whole state feature with everything wired up uh, out of the box with a single command. So then the workflow can be something like this. Let's say we have an application and we want to work on a new feature, right? So what we can do, what we usually do is that we generate that new feature as a lazy loaded feature or lazy loaded module with Angular CLI. So that will be something like uh, NGG for generate, M for module, and then for example, some path like feature slash my new feature and then minus minus route on which route it should be. So for example, my new feature route, whatever, right? And this will generate a module with the first container component, and it will also add the entry into the routing configuration. Amazing. So we have this prepared. So, but we want this feature to also use NGRX as a state management. So what we can do in that case is we can run another schematic. So ng-generate, and then we, if we didn't, like even if we did not pre-configure NGRX schematics as a default ones for the Angular CLI, which is often the case, we actually have to name the package. So in that name, it's ng-generate at ngrx slash schematics, which is the name of the package where it's mm-hmm. coming from. And we, of course, also have to install that package if we didn't do that yet. And then we can use like the, the column or the double point. I'm not completely sure. <laughs> like, how is it called properly in English? Like, so like this double point, I think it's column. Column. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then the name of the schematic, which we want to use from that schematic library, and the name of the schematic is feature. So it's literally called a feature. So again, ngg or generate at ngrx slash schematics colon feature. So that's just to like, that's kind of the same thing as saying component. It's just the name of the schematic plus the package where it's coming from. And then again, we have to provide a path. So we had like this feature slash my new feature. And then usually we can create something like slash state, for example. And then we can also give the name to that state. So if it would be again, something like, let's say user admin, then we can say like features slash user admin or like just user list, whatever user admin slash state slash user. So it will give a name to that state. It will be the user state. And uh, this will create us the reducer, selectors, actions, effects, it will wire them up. It will also add imports to that feature, main feature module. So user admin module. It will register the reducer. It will register the effects. And if we provide something like two more flags, like minus A and minus C. So A stands like for API and C for like a creator functions. It will already 
provide like some nice steps. So for example, there will be a load action, load success action, and load failure action. There will be already a first effect to actually load those entities where you can just provide your service. And in the reducer, those actions will already be handled. So, and of course, you can take it then from there and start writing your own actions and provide the service and all this kind of stuff. So this is, I would say, pretty amazing because basically we ran two commands and we have the whole setup for a new lazy feature with the NGRX base state, with the first request all there in place, and we can start writing our logic. So then, yes, there is some boilerplate, but if we this do this, we are good, yeah, we don't actually have to write it, right? And we yeah. are guaranteed that it will be done exactly in the same way in every feature. Because if people write by themselves, then sometimes they prefix it reducer, sometimes they suffix it, sometimes they just don't use the prefix or suffix. The order of things can be different, the namings pattern can be different. But as it turns out, we should have never written this code by hand in the first place. It was never necessary, right? So this is, again, like a very, very huge benefit, especially when working in larger organizations with like larger teams with multiple people, like consistency is very valuable, right? So definitely one of the best practices, uh, always use NGRX uh, schematics to generate whole state feature slices. Definitely worth it. And then like to tie it up to what we said previously, that we said sometimes you want to have like a standalone selector which delivers the perfect state for your like com- container component the schematic collection also provides schematics to generate just selector or just actions right so this is also possible to do so then you can just generate a, a standalone selector file together with the related test and the whole test setup for your container component in your container component path so i think that's pretty cool and this conveniently brings us to the next thing which is uh, it's all related to a like a dependency graph of our application and it's uh, related to like a use of the state as our application grows if you have multiple state slices and like the original way it's called like when it when in doubt pull your logic one level up to preserve nice clean one-way dependency graph so let's unpack unpack what this means so what we said previously is that we wanted a new feature right like a user admin and we created that feature and in that feature we also created a state slice like a state module which manages this user state now as it turns out uh, it started isolated but actually we need that collection of users also for example in the dashboard to show like in the dashboard that like some task item or something like this belongs to some user. So that means we need that uh, state in like a sibling features, which uh, should never import from each other because they are like uh, sibling lazy loaded features, right? So why you should never import from one another is that uh, they might not be present in the runtime at the same time, right? If it depends on the order of the navigation and stuff like that, or, or it disturbs like your bundling. So it will move all the stuff into the eager main bundle, which you also do not want. So the situation is we have two sibling lazy features. We have a dashboard, we have the user admin. And as it turns out, we need to access part of that user admin state in that dashboard. So when in doubt, pull your logic one level up. What does that mean? Basically, what we can do is to either move 
the whole user state feature into the core. We literally can like just move that folder actually because the NGRX state features, they do not care if they are eagerly or lazy loaded. For them, it makes no difference actually. So it's very easy to move that whole folder and just register it, of course, then in the core module instead of the user admin module. And that way, if it's one level up, it's in within its core, then of course we can reuse that state in the dashboard and in the user admin. They both can access it because it's one level up, because it's in core. That way we have no sibling imports and we have a nice, clean, one-way dependency graph, right? So as you can see, it's all coming together. We generated it. It was generated in such a way that it makes it very easy to move it around if there will be a need to move it around, which is very often the case in the practice. Now, what about the case when that user state slice not only manages the collection of the users which we need to reuse, but also like some state which is uh, only only relevant to that user feature. So for example, there are some filters and like whatever have you, like a loading spinner and stuff like that, right? So this kind of state should not be like reusable in the whole application. It only belongs to that uh, user admin feature. So in that case, what we can do is we can split it so we leave it there where it was, and we use uh, schematics again to generate a new state slice for user in our core, the same way as we did for the user admin. So ng generate at ngrx slash feature, but now the path would be something like uh, core slash user state slash user or something to give it like a name. And then basically we just move the actions which are related and the selectors and all the related things and effects which are related <laughs> to the management of the collection into the core while leaving all the others which are related to the UI of that user admin feature in that user admin feature, right? So again, as you can see, it uh, allows you to evolve it in a nice, clean way as your requirements change, as they grow, as the whole mm -hmm. applications grow. And so here we see in that case when we have like the, let's say we have a sibling lazy feature and then one level up means into core. But what if you have like a, multiple levels of navigation. So we come to user admin and then we have some sub pages, for example, like the user list and whatever have you, right? And they maybe they have their own state slices for whatever reason, because there you can like manage like user assets or like whatever it is, right? So again, applying that rule when in doubt, pull your logic one level up. If you have a feature A and then we have a sub feature A1 and sub feature A2, and we need to reuse the state between them, one level up means into feature A. So you don't have to go all the way to core, just one level up. Whenever there is like some use between the siblings, one level up. So mm -hmm. again, like this rule can be applied to like, in like this fractal way, right? So to like any depth of that graph, but for practical reasons, probably will not have more than like four or five layers of navigation, I hope, right? But yeah, yeah, I think it will help us to architecture our application pretty well. Like if you plug everything together and try to create a different bundle and different, try to minimize the dependency between the different module, then it will be pretty, like I think development will be easy, maintenance will be easy, testing will be easy. And that, uh, that that's the, I think, best thing about uh, NGRX or any, any stage state management. Definitely. So that is like very important to, Note that like that like that isolation between modules is like enforced by Angular. So when we have like a lazy loaded module, mm -hmm. it's kind of like a clean cut. So you cannot really do like the sibling imports 
or like break your bundling or then you can get like uh, either you break your bundling so that it will all be in the main which you don't want and this can be called like with something like budgets when you're you do like a wrong import and suddenly like your main bundle like triples in size then you know something went wrong or if you use even things like for example enix right like narwhal enix where it allows you to even validate your dependency graph more explicitly not just with some like derived markers that your like main bundle just doubled in size right but yeah so this is actually like the property of the of the angular lazy modules but it plays extremely nicely together with the ngrx or like or ngrx plays extremely nicely with that and allows you to scale it to any size of any amount of lazy features let's just say yeah about that i have a question like uh, it was uh, what in my mind some days back also so suppose I think nowadays this micro front end is growing on. If someone wants to use NGRX in their micro front end and when the base app will club them, so will that be any collision between them if the the accent is same or uh name is same? Will that be a problem or uh, somehow Angular's handle that thing? So I'm actually not hundred percent sure, but let's try to think about it now. So as far as I understand, like inside of single application, there is kind of no way to have more than one store that I am pretty yeah. certain of. Mm-hmm. If you have like micro front ends and you have multiple Angular applications, then without any specific like customization, that each of them would get their own store. Now, what we also know is that uh, Angular allows us to do like provide services in various ways. And like very famous one is provided in root, but there is also one called provided in platform, I think, if I'm not mistaken or something like that. And uh, that one is then shared across all the Angular application on given page. So if you have like a purely Angular based micro front end solution where every of those micro front ends on a single page are done with Angular, mm-hmm. then in theory, you can wrap your store in that how is it called in the shell in that like root shell application you could wrap your store and expose it through like a service which was provided in platform and then those micro front ends could uh, inject it and use that and register themselves but then you would have to need some namespacing to not have collisions and you would be coupled which you may or may not want like it's convenient but it's always a trade-off, right? So you can conveniently access state, but you have a risk of collisions and you have coupling and these kind of things. But I think it should be possible to do it like this, given that precondition that all those micro frontends are done with Angular. Yep. So that so that could be something like you inject the store in that service and then every of those other consumers will inject that service and use that store and register themselves into that store. That probably should be something which is possible to do, even though I never did it myself in practice. So there could be some things which I missed. Yeah, I think maybe it may be a, a store will have a small store in, inside it, the base app, I'm saying. Yeah, because that's the kind of whole point, right? If you go with micro frontends, we want to be totally independent. Yes. So, but then you still, I mean, like you will reuse state one way or another. So is it through backends? which are like the shared point or is it through like uh, some special event bus or is it through like a global store across all the micro front ends? I guess there is no right answer to that. It depends on the particular use case. Yeah, yeah, but it's a great question. Yeah, I mean, like th- these kind of approaches are also very, very popular, yes. 
All right. So I think one thing I, I would like to say, actually, I have faced that and uh, spent my three, four hours on that. Actually, if you, what I have done is I named two accents as the same name, mm-hmm. uh, copy pasting or something. It did that. I, it took me three to four hours to find out that uh, what is happening in the application. But Those are real tricky, yeah. Yeah, but after that, I, I found out that we have runtime checks in NGRX. If I would have used that before, then it would save me. So I think uh, while defining our store, we can check that your accents would be unique always. If you have any different accent while registering itself, it will show you in the compile time itself instead of banging our head <laughs> in the runtime. Yeah, that's a very so, good point. Yeah, so there were like time check. Yeah, yeah, there were before like this was or, only added like I'm not sure if it was version ten or eleven or something like that. So, but you could say like relatively late. Before that, there was like ESLint rule for that, and probably also like TSLint rule. But this is anyway deprecated now. But it was so useful, as you said. Like I, I experienced that too. That they actually pulled that check into the NGRX library itself. But it's hundred percent like uh, the good idea to enable it from start. Yes. Speaking of action, maybe let's drop the last one, which this one is discussed enough, I would say, online. But it never hurts to to repeat it. So it's all about like how do we name and treat our actions. So usually like the basic intuition for most people, including me at the beginning, was to to treat actions as commands. So I have a state slice, to-dos, for example, and then I want to add a to-do. So I have action add to-do. And then I can maybe dispatch this action from multiple places in my application. So it can be from where I'm just adding the to-do, but maybe it's also when I receive the response from the backend, and maybe if there is like some notification coming through like WebSocket, whatever have you, right? So from totally unrelated parts of the application, I would dispatch the same action as a command. And then when I seen like the history of the actions in my application, I had no idea what is going on because that action will not tell me what actually happened. So for those reasons, it is much better to treat your actions as events. So for example, user added to do in the form or like the to do was added from backend response or like the to do was added as a side task for the main task or whatever have you, right? So the actions are cheap. You can easily create 10 different variation of like the same action because it's dispatched from 10 different places, which brings us to the main concept that actions are events which belong to their source, not to their destination. Because the command is like, yeah, update to do in the to-do state slice. But like user added to do using the to-do form is like an event which belongs to that form. And then that where it's handled centrally, that's another thing. It can be handled in multiple places, right? Mm-hmm. So that's uh, there is also like a lint rule for that, I think which is not like it doesn't analyze the language itself. It just checks if the action has like some like prefix, which should be the source, but better than nothing. So uh, I want to like shout out for the Tim DeShriver. He wrote like amazing uh, ESLint library for validation of the NGRX uh, best practices. Amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I think normally we, I also used to like give the accent, like if the accent is using for updating a user, it's an action update user. Instead of that, uh, event we will be integrated. Uh, yeah, it's it's more natural to do it like this because I want to do this right now. I'm not thinking like, okay, this happened and maybe then once like something will happen somewhere else. But 
that's why why we have like a linting and stuff like this to help us to shake off that like default default approach because again it will be more beneficial to do it the other way around right and then we said like you can see it like in the history right so i said like if you see those actions which have all the same name and happening from different parts of application and this brings us to the last point which is to get comfortable with using redux dev tools which is basically a plugin for the or extension depending on your browser but now most of the browsers are like chromium behind the scenes right so it's mm-hmm. a chrome extension which um, gives you a powerful way to understand what's going on with your application so one of the most useful ones is this uh, like action log where you see which action happened and there you will see how valuable it is to have very descriptive names for your actions plus it gets like it has a really crazy feature where you basically can click on any action and it will show you the diff of how they how that action changed the state in the store, which I think is amazing. Of course, it gives you like a view of the snapshot of the state from the store, so you can just see the whole state together. You can even replay them. It's really extremely powerful, and once you apply those previous best practices, it will get even more powerful. So that's something which definitely makes sense to get yourself comfortable when working with NGRX, yeah. I was saying also, by using dead tools, you can see other applications also, if it's running. NGRX, FS state management, you can like check how they are handling like some big application, what they are, what they are using and how they are naming to learning purpose. That's true. Some people like uh, leave it uh, enabled also in the production and then you mm-hmm. can get like a great inspiration. Yeah. And that also happens sometimes when like I open like my application in production and I open the dev tools and then I see something from somewhere else and not my stuff because there is like some maybe third-party extensions or whatever which use ngrx so i will pick that one up but yeah it can uh, serve as a source of inspiration yeah cool so i think we went yeah most of the i was gonna say yeah all right well if if people want to follow up you know maybe they have a question or want a clarification on something where do they find you online so the best way would be just to ping me like on twitter at thomas tryan or then if you find like some blog posts that are like a reply function, but yeah, if you have like a specific question to something like this, then just don't hesitate and ping me at Twitter at Thomas Tryan, shoot me a DM, yeah. Cool. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Uh, Subrat, what are your picks? Yeah, I think mm, this week's pick will be a book again. The, I think the book name is Mindset. It's a uh, it's a good book. Like uh, you, you can read like how, how the mindset is and how the perspective towards uh, something. And that, uh, that will help in some someday at least. So that's the pick for this week. Awesome. I'm going to throw out a few picks. I usually pick a board game. So I'm going to pick lately on the other shows. I know we haven't recorded one of these in a few weeks, 
but we're back. But yeah, so I've been picking expansions for the legendary Marvel Legendary game. And the one that I'm kind of on this week, it's actually, it's not really my favorite one. There are parts of it that I like and parts of it that I don't, but it's the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy expansion for Legendary. Some of the effects that some of the heroes can bring into the game are kind of cool. But what I found is that a lot of the characters kind of have to play nicely together. No, I, I got that mixed up. This is the new mutants one. And yeah, you, you have to have like three or four mutants in the game in order to really make it work. And some of the villains are hard to take on without that. But uh, anyway, I think it was a 2.6 weight. So it's kind of casual gamer level game. But I'm going to shout out about that. And then I am filling in conferences for this year. And it looks like the Angular Remote Conf is going to be in November. So if you want to speak at the conference, I should have the CFP up and running here by the time this gets released. If you work for a company that might want to sponsor either to hire people or to get word out about your product, then you can definitely do that too. Go to topendevs.com slash sponsor. And then finally, I'm also working on getting meetups together. So Tomash mentioned that he's trying to get his local meetup going, which is awesome. But I've talked to a whole bunch of people that don't have somebody that's motivated to run a local meetup. And Angular, or sorry, my brain is fried. COVID kind of killed off a bunch of meetups, right? And they just, you know, the people who are running them for whatever reason have other stuff going on or, you know, aren't really motivated to do it. And so they're not starting them back up. So I want to kind of create a place where people can come and interact and learn and things like that. So we're going to format it mostly like your meetups that you do in person where you show up and you have a talk or two for 10, 20 minutes, you know, and it could be anything from, hey, I built this and this is what I did to, hey, we're going to go deep on this particular topic. But the the real power in the meetups, in my opinion, is that you get to talk to each other, right? You get to go and yeah. afterward you get to sit down and you go, oh, well, you know, I'm running into this problem. How do, you know, how do you solve it? Or, hey, we're trying to pick a state management. Do we use NGRX or something else? Or, you know, stuff like that. And so you can have those conversations without it necessarily being the topic of the meetup. And I'm using a system called AirMeet. And the way that it works is it's, it uses it has virtual tables. And so you can go in and you can have a video chat with the other folks. And I'm totally good leaving it open for a couple hours if people want to stay and chat, right? But I really want to create that environment of, um, hey, we're all coming together to learn something. Unfortunately, I haven't figured out how to do the pizza virtually yet. But then after, you know, after the talks, then, hey, look, you know, we're going to have a couple of topic specific tables and then we're going to have a couple of open tables and you can just come and visit and meet people and get to know each other and, and, and interact that way. And then I'm also working on setting up Slack channels for each of the meetups so that between meetups, we can still interact because I think it's important for us to be able to talk as a community, but also just talk as people who get together and care about the same kind of thing. And then that way, if you live somewhere that had a meetup that doesn't have one anymore, or I've talked to some people, they live, they're like one of like four developers in this little tiny island nation that they happen to listen to this show, but they this is the only interaction they get. I want them to be able to come in and feel like they're part of a group too. So that's that's what we're doing. So all of that's top-end devs. The conferences are at topendevs.com slash conferences. The meetups are at topendevs.com slash meetups. And I'm planning on starting them next month in July. 
So yeah, if you want to speak at one, that's that's good too. I'm a little less rigorous about who speaks at the meetups versus who speaks at the conferences. And I, I'm kind of looking to get somebody just kind of out there in the community who isn't as well-known and then get some of our more well-known people to show up. So anyway, that's a long-winded way of kind of promoting some of the stuff we're doing. But the meetups are going to be free, at least for now. I may eventually, you know, charge a couple bucks just to kind of help cover the hosting. But for right now, they're free. I kind of want to get people in and see what we can do to help folks out. And then if you have a topic that you want to have covered, then let me know. All right, Tomash, what are your picks? So sounds great, all these initiatives. I'm looking forward to see it. And yeah, for the picks, so you inspired me like with the game. So if anybody's playing like Age of Empires 4, for example, like it was newly released and ping me also on the Twitter, I'm very happy to like do some team games. Mm. And another pick, so there is this uh, guy on YouTube called like Huberman or Huberman, like Huberman Lab podcast. So it's like a very high quality science-based information about like actionable tips like to improve your health and stuff like this so like just one example for example in the morning go out in the light so that like your brain perceives the light and like fixes like your circadian rhythm and stuff like that so for me that was like a gold mine i was very surprised that this kind of high quality free actionable information from the top people in their field is available online so i can only recommend so there are so many tips which are like zero cost right so like to have your tea or coffee on the balcony or at the window instead of like behind the curtains i never knew and it makes a difference right so this i think like huberman lab podcast on youtube and on spotify for me a game changer awesome what I was saying, the light part is good. I have recently started cycling. And in the morning, I'm going. So after that, I'm pretty energetic uh, throughout the day. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, this light exposure in the morning makes a difference. Yeah. Yep. Cool. All right. We'll go ahead and wrap up here. Thanks for coming. This was awesome. And hopefully, folks are going to start doing NGRX just a little bit better. Thank you very much uh, for having me. I hope people got some like value from it and see at least one or two actionable tips and that it will make their like development experience at least a little bit better. So that's hopefully the case. Yep. All right. We're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Till next time, folks. Max out. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.